morning. Please follow along with me as I read from God's word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Leslie. So I served a church in the Chicago area for about nine years, and a couple years after I left that church and moved back here to the West Coast, my sister, who still lives in the Chicago area, sent me a note, and uh, there was a link in it, and she said, what's going on with your old church? And it was a link to an article in the Chicago Tribune about the church that I had served. The pastor who followed me had been arrested as a felon because he was siphoning money off of the benevolent account at church and using it to fuel his uh, addiction of gambling. I imagine that each one of us could come up with some story similar where a leader or a ministry leader uh, has tarnished the message of the gospel and has caused harm to the, the cause of Christ. There were those in Thessalonica who wanted to paint Paul with that kind of a portrait, that he was someone who was simply a shyster, who had come to them because of his own motives and his own desires. And in fact, at that time of the, the, the uh, era, uh, there were many traveling uh, preachers, teachers, philosophers 
who would travel around and, and spew their stuff for the sake of, of having uh, some income. Uh, they were paid for it. And so they were trying to paint Paul as one of these kinds of people. But Paul then uh, writes to the Thessalonians and tells them, you remember uh, how it was when I came to you and how thankful we can be that this took place because in writing back to the Thessalonians, Paul unveils for us the kind of minister it takes to establish a, a model ministry. We would not have had that had it not been for his critics. And I know that many people are still critical of the Apostle Paul and claim that he's uh, uh, you know, somebody that uh, we ought to question, but uh, it's a, as a result of the criticism that he took, he lays out for us a clear understanding of this type of ministry he had. If you look at the text, uh, there are several times where he refers back to the Thessalonians and says, you know, you understand, verse 1 of chapter 2, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. If you skip on down to verse 5, uh, he goes on and he says, you know, we never used flattery. Verse 9, he goes on and he says, surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship." And then in verse 10, he says, you are our witnesses. Verse 11, you know that we dealt with you each as a father deals with his son. Uh, he talks about the fact that you are my witnesses. You know what kind of minister I was among you. And it was his kind of ministry that established the work in Thessalonica. Paul says in the very beginning, my ministry was not a failure. It was fruitful. And I would submit to you that the reason it was fruitful is because of the way in which he ministered. You're going to be looking for a pastor. And I almost titled this sermon, in fact, I did early on, a pastor's profile. But I realized that we are all ministers and that all together we need to understand what it takes to, to make a, a model uh, ministry because all of us must invest in a ministry style that emanates and illustrates what the Apostle Paul has done. So let's look this morning at this text and see what it takes to build a model ministry. First of all, a model ministry, I say, is characterized by transparent integrity. Paul speaks in verse 4 about himself, and he says, we speak, that's this Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we speak as those approved by God uh, to be entrusted with the gospel. The term steward is not used here, but the image that Paul is using, I think, is the image of stewardship or of a steward. It's implied by this phrase where Paul says, I've been entrusted with the gospel. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, So then you ought to be, regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. So there he connects being entrusted with the things of the Lord with the concept of stewardship. A steward is a trustee 
a custodian of another's goods. To be a steward, we must be willing to take the things of God and to serve them to others. A model ministry is built on a style of stewardship in which we understand ourselves to be representative of a message that comes from someplace else. I attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and they've got a, a medallion, which is their, their seal. And on that seal is this verse, entrusted with the gospel. And their whole point was that as they trained people for ministry, they were making stewards of the gospel. A steward is one who is found to be faithful to the message. Paul writes, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his message in spite of strong opposition. Several times in this text, Paul calls the gospel the gospel of God. Verse 8, verse 9, he calls it the gospel of God. A steward is not at liberty to adjust the message or to make it up. A steward is under obligation to the master to deliver the message which he has received. That message is the message of the gospel, the message of what Christ has done to bring forgiveness, cleansing, and reconciliation. In our age, pragmatic society is often the question is, does it work? The more important question is, is it the truth? We live in a culture of lies, fake news, falsehood, and truth is important. We're not at liberty to make up the message that we are to declare. And to be faithful stewards means that we are faithful to the message which God has entrusted to us. And it's easy to get off on sidetracks and to look at other things, but what God is calling us to do if we're going to make a, a meaningful ministry which will stand is to focus clearly on the truth and be faithful to the gospel rather than letting other things shift our attention. A steward is also one who must have pure motives. Paul writes, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. We're not looking for the praise of men, not from you or from anyone else, in chapter 2, verse 6. It is possible to share the right message with the wrong motives. We can be guilty of sharing the gospel in a way in which we pander to what is called the applause syndrome. Often there are temptations as we present the gospel. We can be tempted by greed or we could be tempted by power and glory. Why do we share the gospel? Is it from a pure motive because we want to honor God and be faithful stewards to what he has given us? Or are there other motives that are driving us? A faithful steward not only is faithful to the message and has pure motives, but a faithful steward uses appropriate methods. 
He says, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. He uses a series of words here that relate to the issue of plainness of speech, of honesty, of absence of deceit, the purity of a presentation. Our message did not spring from error. The word there connotes a deception or delusion, fraud or misleading. We didn't mislead you as we tried to share with you the gospel. We didn't use impure motives, entrapment, corruption, covetousness. Nor are we trying to trick you, entrapment, baiting, and switching. Paul would not have agreed with the statement which says, we don't care what kind of method we use as long as we bring people to Christ. Or that the end justifies the means. We need to be concerned about the ethics of persuasion. I had a book in my library written by a professor from Wheaton, and the illustration in it, it was on, it called Gentle Persuasion was the name of the book. But there was a cartoon in it which I, I constantly remembered because in the cartoon you had this crusader, full armor, uh, face mask and all, and he's got this huge lance, and lying on the ground is a, is a person, and he's got the, the, the lance right against his chest. And the caption was the man on the ground saying, I would love to hear what you have to say about your God. What's the nature of our appeals? Do we appeal as we try to share the gospel to uh, irrelevant desires? Well, if you trust Christ, you'll be successful. You'll make money. You'll be popular. You'll have an easy life. Do we promise that in order to convince people to accept Christ? It says that a flatter, flatterer is one who manipulates rather than communicates. It's important the kinds of methods we use to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're going to build a model ministry. So Paul in that first section uses the image of a steward, a steward who is faithful with the message has pure motives and is concerned about the kind of methodology he uses in sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ. Then in verses 7 and following, he shifts a bit to a new image. If the first part was the image of a steward, the second part is an image of a mother. And a model ministry is characterized, I say, by tender involvement. Paul writes, But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her children. Paul has shifted the imagery and emphasizes the way in which he did ministry with the Thessalonians, and the image he uses is that of a nursing mother. That image sets a tone. It's a tender, warm touch. As I hear it, I get the scent of baby powder, smell of a newborn, soft, cuddly blankets. We often think of Paul as tough and hard. 
But Paul says, I came to you like a mother. And he emphasizes his tenderness and style by by using, I think, a contrast here. He begins this session by saying, as apostles, we could have been a burden to you. Uh, The good news for modern man translates it this way. We could have made demands on you as an apostle of Christ, but we were gentle when we were with you. Here's my attempt at a translation. We could have thrown our weight around because we are apostles of Christ. But instead, we were tender toward you as tender as a nursing mother imparting warmth and care to her own child. What Paul is saying here with his contrast is that he refused to rely on his title for his authority. His authority did not come because he had the title apostle. His style was not to hammer them with his title of distinction, but to win them over with the loving, tender care as a mother. There's an interesting textual problem here in this text, in verse 7, where it says that, uh, let me read the text here. He says in verse 7, we, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her child, children. We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives as well. When he speaks of we were gentle among you, the word there translated gentle, in some manuscripts has a a letter in front of it which changes the meaning to child. In other words, he says, we were were like children among you. You Children don't have a lot of power. Children don't have a lot of authority. But he says, that's kind of, we we were gentle like children among you. Jesus set the principle for how authority is to be exercised. He said, you know uh, that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high priests exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul came not as an authoritarian, but as a nurturer. A command style of authority tells others what to do and demands conformity of behavior. Such is not the case of servant leadership, servant style. A servant style must rely on the inner response to those they influence. They seek the free choice of the one who is being led. Command authority might achieve behavior conformity, but the servant style achieves hearts of commitment. So Paul says, I didn't come as one who was banking on my title and my authority. Instead, I came as a tender mother. His tenderness style is not only characterized by his refusal to rely on his title for authority and influence, but it's also characterized by his personal involvement with them. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you became so dear to us. The word love here is not one of the three standard Greek words for love, eros, philos, or agape. Instead, it's a rather rare word 
homoeromia, which according to the theological dictionary in the New Testament means a warm inner attachment. The apostle is impelled by this warm sense of attachment to them to serve not only because of unconditional obedience to the Lord, but in a heartfelt care for the people to whom he ministered. Paul did not see those in Thessalonica as targets or prospects. Paul did not see them as evangelistic targets. Someone has said, Jesus was so human that nobody believed he was God. Some preachers are so godlike, nobody thinks they're human. Paul understood that he needed to be among them as an incarnate of the grace of God. For Paul, giving his life to them meant working as a tent maker so that he wouldn't have to be a burden to them and he could come and serve them freely. When I think of a mother, I think of selflessness and serving. He says, we work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Children don't grow up instantly. Once a child is born, it takes years of care and nurture to bring them to maturity. These children need to be fed, cared for. They need protection until they understand the dangers. These are all implications of how a meaningful ministry is established. Finally, in verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul uses a third image. It's the image not of a steward or of a mother, but of a father. He says, For we, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. His love was like a father, and he uses the words encouraging, exhorting, imploring his children. Paul nursed the Thessalonian Christians as babes in Christ, but he didn't want to leave them as babes in Christ. He wanted them to grow. Christ, in his love, accepts us as we are, but will never allow us, allows us to be satisfied with that. Genuine love encourages growth, development, toward maturity. The Apostle Paul, using the image of the Father, says that he, uh, as their father, uh, lived among them uh, holy, righteous, and blamelessly among those who believed, verse 10. The Apostle Paul encouraged them by his walk, first of all. We lived among you, fathers who wonder about the direction of their kids, need to understand that kids watch us. What we do speaks even more loudly than what we say. The uh, biographer Boswell, who was the famous biographer of, of uh, Samuel Johnson, uh, was aware of the fact that oftentimes uh, Samuel Johnson referred, uh, Boswell referred to uh, his special day as a child when his father had taken him fishing. And uh, the day was fixed in his mind as one of the most significant days of his life. Uh, and so after having heard this so many times, a, a fellow who decided to check on Boswell's journey, Boswell's father's journey to see what took place that day and deter determine why, why it was so significant. And turning to the date in Boswell's father's journal, 
he read the following one sentence. Gone fishing today with my son. Day wasted. How our lives can impact as we serve as fathers who spend time. Not only did he do it with his walk, but he encouraged with his words. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. When Anna Marie, my oldest daughter, went to college in Bethel, in St. Paul, she ran across country and uh, ran in the NAIA regional cross-country meet in Newton, Iowa. I think it was a sophomore year. And so I decided I would drive from Chicago to Newton, Iowa and uh, watch that race. And so on a foggy, cold Iowa morning out on the golf course, I went and stood along the race course, and as Anna Marie would go by, come on, go, go, you got, you got this, you got this. And I was there as a, as a father, encouraging my daughter to do what she could do to win that race. And that's what Paul is trying to say here as he talks about his relationship with the, with the Thessalonians. It's like a dad standing beside the race course and saying to these newborn Christians, go, you can go, you can continue to move on and grow in your faith. Uh, the next word he uses is the, uh, the word uh, comforting. It conveys the idea of consoling or exercising gentle uh, love. Uh, love is the catching, the pulse beat of a person's stage of growth and helping them move beyond where they are. Anna Marie didn't do too well in that race. And so at the finish line, I did a bit of, a bit of comforting and saying, it's okay, it's okay. And that's what Paul is using here is his image of the father. He's a steward who is faithful. He's a mother who is intimately involved in nurturing. He's a father who is encouraging and caring. We share how God has helped us. We give witness, as he says. If you want to build a model ministry, these are some of the characteristics that the tough old Paul that we often think of as hard and uh, difficult and stern, we get another picture of him here. And it's the picture of somebody who has built a, a model ministry. And as we together and as you find a new lead pastor, I pray that this is the kind of style which will be reflected in the proclamation of the gospel. Faithful to the gospel, the gospel of God, but faithful in a way which remembers that uh, there's a, a, a proper method, there's a proper motive uh, in, in communicating that message. There's that sense of intimacy up close and personal. And then there's that sense of encouragement that comes. Stuart, mother, father. That's the way we build a meaningful model ministry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for reminding us again that it's not only important that we be stewards of the gospel of God, but that we do it in a way which reflects the character and heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have these words 
from the Apostle Paul to help us to understand. May we follow after you as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. May our hearts be one with you. In Christ's name, amen. May the peace of Christ go with you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you in the storms, and be bringing you back rejoicing as the, what he has shown you. Go in peace, serve the Lord.